is just the this worst. This is so cool. Song. It's not cool. Oh, this sound though. No. This is a cool sound right here. It is not. Oh, it is not. I've never, never liked this song. Welcome to KCast. This is Caleb. This is Chris. And this is an awesome song right here. You are so deluded. This is this iconic song. This is that. So many people got laid to this song being on. <laughs> this is the Chick Magnet song. I, I you find play that this, hard you light a candle, I you was... turn a, put a light on a disco ball. Oh, God. This song no. is a good time. I was, I was there when this song came out and it was the antithesis to a good time. It's, Rip a bong load? This was right the. There. No, you would not. But that that one part is so that do 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 do. That's cool. That's no, a cool, that's the worst. That's part. a cool sound. That's, that's the, the best part. part. That's the, that's the, that's just the that part little that riffy thing. That's like just, oh, oh, it's like yeah. a spark of electricity going through me. I'll, oh, that, I'll tell you what. That part. I'm a fan of the cars. Oh. I like the cars. There's there's a lot of like new wave bands in the yeah. '80s that I liked. Because Australian, what's going on there? But. Uh, but whenever they went to that synthesizer, that little keyboard do 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 do, they just ingrained. That's so cool sounding. Oh god, no! Just it's cool. Again. It's gone all the way around, and now it's cool again. No, it, it has made a full circle. It wasn't that it was. It, That's what happened. It hasn't gone all the way around. It wasn't that it, <laughs> that it was never cool. It was. It was popular in the 80s. Yeah. And it that was, was the defining sound of no, the 80s. it was this little program glitch that, sound. that it was the technology, so it was funky to put that in there. It was program new. Program glitch. And it, yeah, no, no, they programmed the thing. That was, they'd take that and they programmed that, that doot, 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 that was programmed. Yeah. It wasn't like they were playing those, those notes sweet. at the time. That but was it was a, a glitch? No, it wasn't a glitch. Oh. It was programmed. They'd take time before they started playing the song. And they'd have it was like a sound effect that they that they'd set up and they'd uh, program into their uh, synthesizer ahead of time. So that was just one keystroke was to get do 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 like a drum machine. You'd program it. Why are they men without hats? I don't know. Why are they anti bowling hats? But I just did not appreciate that sound. Understand. It just sounded like a lack of musicianship. <laughs> it sounded like some. It just. It, you know, it you sounded like a machine. You weren't the right age you for it. You could just feel that's, the soul. That's clearly it. You could just feel the soul coming out of the music. No, the humanity if, was just coming out of the music. If you were a young person when that song came out, you would have been into it. But I was a young just, person you when that. Came just weren't the right age. It was terrible. You were not in the so target much, demographic of that song. There was so much good music <laughs> available. We can dance. It just seemed like that dance. was unnecessary. We can dance. I, you could feel the stick going into people's asses when they played that song. <laughs> Men, <laughs> Men Without Hats was gay? <laughs> no, you know, <clears throat> there's, there's just certain music, certain attitudes where it's just like... People will say, "Oh, you know, who put the stick up your ass?" Or that guy looks like he's, you know, goes around like he's got a stick up his ass. And this was the song where you could just like pretentious feel people feel, yeah. You could just. This was a song that would put the stick into people's ass. If people could be having a good time listening to, to Led Zeppelin or something else, or the Stones or some really cool actual rock song. And then you that know, song this takes song the stick out of my ass. That's this, what it this, does. This, no, this song puts it right in. You could be listening <laughs> to something fun, having a good time, laid back, and this song comes on, and it's like in rebellion to the rebellion. Okay, what's better, we can dance if you want to, or this song? Is this a better song? This is a better song. Sweet home. 
not a big belt with King Sam. It's maybe three, two or three times. Come on. If they do that, I like. Who's heard of Motley Crue? <laughs> what did they do? Is that that band with Kid Rock? Is no. that Motley Crue? No. No, it's the, the band with the guy who married Pam Anderson. It's the it's the hard rock band where the singer actually got who? convicted and went to jail. Vince Neil you know, went to went at at the height of his fame. Tommy yeah, Lee from that sex tape. Tommy Lee was in it from the sex tape, sure. Yeah. Nikki Six, who has a radio, Six Sense now, has a radio Did show. Did Kid Rock also do a sex tape, or is that just Tommy Lee? I, I couldn't tell you. Okay, but at one point, Kid Rock assaulted him or something, right, to Tommy Lee? I, I couldn't tell you. No? Don't know about that. I would not be surprised. You don't know a lot of Kid Rock history. He's I, the Leonard Skinner guy. He's not the Leonard Skinner no. guy. He's the guy that Kid took Rock Leonard Skinner into the 90s. I always confuse him with K-Fed. Yeah. And Kid Rock. They both were wife beaters and had and, blonde dreadlocks. And, and combined rock and, and well, let's see, Timberland combined, I guess, rap. did Timberland do rap or hip-hop or something with Timberland? Just, just who are you talking about? Timberland. I was talking about K-Fed. Kevin oh, K-Fed. K-Fed. K- oh, oh, no. Okay. All right, man. We like the 80s. Speaking of, um, I saw Weekend at Bernie's, and it was terrible. It's just a terrible movie. With a great premise? <laughs> the, that thing was the shit in the day. I, don't, the, I, I wasn't a fan the of The whole but... gimmick of Weekend at Bernie's is a ten minute sketch. Is yeah. A, and I, I've ten seen minutes it, would be long for that premise, I would think. Yeah, I've seen it spoofed <laughs> in so many things. It is like two or three. They yeah. had like two or, you know, uh, two or three sequels to that thing. And I finally saw it. I'm a fan of the show How I Met Your Mother. They... They did a spoof on it a few times. Other things have done a spoof on it. The idea of just a dead guy and you're moving his head and his arms. It will not die. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically enough, Weekend at Bernie's about a dead guy. The the, the promise that will not die. Because the gimmick is is like this SNL skit. Like you can do it in, yeah. in the, a few minutes, and I it's think funny. I would be done with the premise. In that, in about yeah, 10 and I'm like five minutes. Five minutes, I think, would be enough of that premise. And I'm like, wow, this is really. <laughs> not, this is a, just a boring movie. <laughs> Over that premise already. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like there's not enough like I don't know like sex Plot and partying to be. Just... Yeah. <laughs> There's not enough bros for it to be like a bro comedy or a sex comedy or this, you know, it's sort of in this weird People land. like that movie. I, I, you know, I, there's a lot of movies that can't explain their success. I, I get the, you know, the gimmick. It's a good gimmick. Um, <clears throat> so, Chris. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a show after Letterman called The Late Late Show. That was hosted by Craig Ferguson. Yeah, and I was a fan of Craig Ferguson. I didn't watch it regularly, but occasionally yeah, I watch it. I liked Craig Ferguson. Charming like, Scottish guy, maybe? Yeah, Scottish. So. Scottish guy. A tough, tough slot, I would think. Yeah, it's competitive. <laughs> Even at that hour, yeah, because he's, he's not. You would think you think he'd be all in his own at that hour, but not in L.A. He's no. got like three. He's got like two or two other shows that he's competing with the whole time. Yeah. Because there's the show after the Tonight Show, you know, which is the late yeah, show. Yeah, he was up. Well, he's up against yeah. Conan originally, and then Jimmy Kimmel also, I believe. Yeah, 
who was who had the the late show after yeah. that show. So now there's a new guy, James Corbin, that's taken over the late late show. Yeah, in March. Yeah. But the late late show has had guest hosting for the past month or so. Oh yeah, and it's cool. They had like like Regis was guest hosting, and they had Drew Carey, they had Jim Gaffigan, <laughs> they had uh, Judd Apatow. Wow. They had Whitney Cummings. Wow. Yeah, and I think they're it's kind impressive. of impressive. Yeah, I think they're um, you know remodeling and well, Colbert's doing is, Col- has Colbert started doing the late. No, not Letterman. Letterman, I believe, ends in September. Okay. Yeah. So they're still leading. Is still Letterman. His ratings are not great now. Is that correct? They're not Tonight Show great. <laughs> tonight Show. Well, the Tonight Show really that... raised the roof and raised since, the bar for since Fallon came on. Since Fallon came on, yeah. Yeah. His ratings just exploded. Well, he's 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 young. He's got the the demographics that nobody yeah, else has now. And he he's I mean he's my favorite of of the people right, right. now. Right. I mean Leno and Letterman are are their audience is like fifty and over. Uh yeah. I mean you know people who, who've kind of been following those are the guys since that came the eighties yeah you know, as, or so. And Fallon was you know he had good ratings on on his late show right as well. So good for that guy. But anyways, so Whitney Cummings was hosting. I don't know who she is. Is Whitney... that because I'm old? <laughs> she had a a show called Whitney that was a sitcom that lasted about two years, and she created the show Two Broke Girls. So she's a writer on that. She does stand-up. Okay. Maybe you'll recognize her from this little clip. But she said this thing that was so, like, funny and true about stand-up comedians that let's hear that so here's a little clip of whitney i thought i can relate to this okay all right very cool and for this honor i'd like to thank my mother for giving me low self-esteem my father for not paying enough attention to me and all my ex-boyfriends for making a hole in my soul that can only be filled by laughter from strangers or if there are no Strangers available by a tiny machine. So the line before that is, it's an honor to be hosting the Late Late Show. Ah. But she's explaining the premise for why many people are doing comedy. Yes. She's like, it's an honor to host the Late Late Show. I'd like to thank my mother for giving me low self-esteem. Right. My father for never being around. And my ex-boyfriends for leaving a hole in my soul so big they can only be filled with the laughter of strangers. Right. And this is, for many comedians, this is what inspires their and career. she likes vibrators, apparently. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. It wasn't. A, that was a, a laugh laugh track, a laugh machine that she hit. But I think the, the, there was a play on words about ah, the vibrator. And this machine, yeah. Let's listen again. Very cool, and for this honor, I'd like to thank my mother for giving me low self-esteem, my father for not paying enough attention to me, and all my ex-boyfriends for making a hole in my soul that can only be filled by laughter from strangers, or if there are no strangers available, by a tiny machine. And I'm not talking about this laugh button. Ah. I, I think I may have paused it too soon to get to that last bit. I'm like, I think she's talking about a vibrator. Yeah, no. I get it. <laughs> and she's referring to the fact that when they do this this guest hosting in New York, there is no audience. 
Ah. They're using the Charlie Rose studio, studio, and they just throw up the Late Late Show banner. And banner, okay. So you have to so do they don't it even completely have the dry. There's no studio audience. That's terrible. Which makes it double hard. Well, the studio audience for Craig Ferguson is one of the smallest studio audiences. It that, is. That I was in yeah. the... I was in, I went to his taping of one of his shows once and was in the audience. Oh, nice. The I, only, the I only went TV twice. I've ever been. Did you? Yeah. And one of them is, was paid audience. I got ah. paid to go to the show. That's just harsh when it's an audience that's small. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> but we, we mentioned this the other week, like, you know, if a comedian's miserable, you know. It if, inspires. If he, if he wasn't miserable then he wouldn't be driven to do comedy or if he loved himself right. as much as everyone else loved him. <laughs> yeah, no, to do comedy, you're, you're sort of the... To be the class clown, you're, you're sort of a... Definitely is... Um, represents a need for attention. You're trying to draw attention to yourself. Yes. You want attention. Uh, you know, more than is healthy, probably. And that's probably what inspires you to do comedy. And I do notice this a lot with or Letterman. Or kind of an entertainer. It was like a year ago... Uh, Letterman got like the Kennedy Center Award mm-hmm. for I don't know lifetime, lifetime achievement, yeah. and he like hates compliments. Yeah, and he's just uncomfortable with it. So, yeah. and everyone brought that up like you're getting this award, and I know you're the last person who would want me to say this, but there's like five people that have say nice things about him before he gets this award yeah. and goes up there and accepts the award. So. It's like it's only because he has such a low opinion of himself so, that he's able to do this, yeah, <laughs> so effectively. Uh, so that's my thought on that. Uh, that's that's one of the sadder parts of his show is the fact that he's always berating himself. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's almost. I mean, for me, it's enough to drive me to Leno. I, I like Letterman's humor better, except that. He, he's, he's so too dark for you. He's too dark for me. Yeah, he's on the darker side. Like you don't realize how dark he is until you turn to Leno and go, "This guy's like doing the same job and not nearly as depressing." And you're on the dark fence as it is, so I, I would say you don't want to be pushed over. I'm, I'm, to the I, dark I'm side. about as dark as I can stand to be. <laughs> exactly. So I was watching TV the other day. I was watching Cougar Town, which I've been into lately, yeah. and this commercial comes on. Yeah. And it kind of like wakes me up, and I'm like, "You got to give me a warning before this commercial. You can't just jump in with this commercial. This is this, this is, is a not Cougar good. Town com- this is a commercial during Cougar during Town. During Cougar Town, yeah. Okay. Okay, which is on TBS. I'm like, I'm not used to these commercials. So here's the commercial. Nobody told us to expect it. Intercourse that's painful due to menopausal changes. It's not likely to go away on its own. So let's do something about it. Cremorin vaginal cream can help. It provides estrogens to help rebuild vaginal tissue oh, and make man. intercourse more comfortable. And it goes on about that for like another minute. This commercial about painful intercourse and vaginal cream and bleeding. Yeah, you know. Like, oh no, gosh. Okay. Completely taking me out of this nice comedy I was watching. <laughs> this pleasant thing. Yeah. I just get blindsided by this commercial. Well, the, yeah. It's, I'm like, oh it's, no. It's yeah. I'm, I don't need to hear about you know. I'm all not the, watching a medical show, you know about. I don't need to know so. about all the traumas of of of, of owning a, a vagina. <laughs> but I think <laughs> if you stand back. <coughs> I, I, I I I hear where you're coming from. You get is the the more concerning thing 
than that even. I mean, it's concerning enough that you that you get these messages about you know, you're watching a TV show and all of a sudden you you know you get in these you know commercials about uh, ED and <laughs> yeah. and hemorrhoid creams and such and all this stuff. And it's like it just doesn't seem like it should be broadcast on television. You know, it just. Like if I was right. watching like the censors when you really need if them. I'm watching Oprah, I would get it. I'd be like, okay, right, large female audience, right. And I'm watching TBS, so I well, guess that's, that's I where should I, have that's, thought about. That's where I'm going. It's like the more concerning part. Once you get over the trauma of you know of, of these horrible <laughs> descriptions of vaginas and and yeah. and genitalia and stuff like that, one of these things. Then the next thing is. You have to ask yourself when you see these kinds of commercials over. It's like, what am I watching here now? Wait, wait, what demographic am I in? <laughs> Why am I watching a show where they're advertising primarily to to elderly women? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that took me by surprise so, a little bit. <laughs> that's a little concerning. I have to, uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a painful. Uh, the ED ones, you know, drive me nuts because you know the Viagra ones and all these, and the women. At least you're on. a male, though. At least that's targeting your sex. Yeah, but why has my so. sex got these problems? <laughs> I don't have these problems. Exactly. Okay, here I have a question. If I'm only ever masturbating and I haven't got a partner, do I, I still need Viagra? <laughs> I'll let it increase my pressure. Unless you want to last longer for some reason, I can't I might, imagine why. I don't, know, dude, I don't know. I've never seen commercials for aimed from the you know. What about are they missing a market here? You know, could Viagra be you know? Mar- should it be magra- uh, marketing to masturbators? <laughs> are they missing the demographic? Because they only ever have these women come on and explain you know how much better it is now that their men are taking these pills for better erections, and it's like I'm thinking. Well, what's wrong with these guys that they need to take these pills? What? Who am I? You know, I'm watching the show for guys with small dicks. What? <laughs> and then, <clears throat> does it mean small dick per se? But well, they're not soft satis- dick. Whatever, dick. Whatever it is, it's in, insufficient. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I want to watch a show with <laughs> that's being watched by a guy with guys with insufficient penises? And <clears throat> intercourse that's painful due to menopausal changes. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's that, not likely to go away. And, and these Trojan commercials and these all these. Uh, Look how disappointed she is. <laughs> She's very angry. At least you're having sex at. Whatever age, fifty-five. Some of these women haven't even gone through menopause. I don't know what's going on. I just there's something there's something wrong with their with their television. Somebody has to get on the ball and read. They need to they need to figure out how to incorporate these kind of. And you kind know of you can into the show more. I don't like my I don't like my plot being interrupted for five and ten minutes at a pop uh, for all these commercials. Yeah. It's like why can't we just integrate these things into the into the story better? You need a buffer. If that one aired after the ED, you know, yeah. there'd be more of a segue there. But yeah, you just can't blindside it. I don't know. <laughs> so that was funny. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's this is disturbing. There's got to be some better way to market this stuff than. Yeah, and that's. I bet you can only air that after ten o'clock. I don't know. <laughs> on man, certain channels, I have to pay more attention to what's coming on and when. It just seems like there's far too much of this kind of stuff going on during the daytime. 
<clears throat> so remember that um you know you uh you were right about something once you know so that's I good. was <laughs> yeah that's quite alarming <laughs> I know right what was it no we uh we want like a few months ago we watched Bad News Bears right and great film and not only did it live up to the hype it exceeded the hype I was super impressed with how good it was you were. I was. It was my first time seeing it. We watched it. Yeah. I didn't... I mean, I heard the reputation that it was good. Yeah. But it was freaking fantastic. Yeah. This is an amazing movie. Well, the key to the Bad News Bears is that... Don't tell a... me you've turned on it already. No, no, no. Mr. Uh, well... I hate everything. <laughs> the, well, what... <clears throat> We've got to remember like, here... It's not that, that good. Simmer you, down. You were born in the late 80s, and so... Uh, this is true. Uh, so you're looking at a movie, you know, made about the mid-70s. Yeah. But it was a movie made about the mid-70s, back in the mid-70s. I think that's like a key to its accuracy. And they nailed it. <laughs> they nailed it. Super accurate. They were accurate. able to, <laughs> to accurately document the current social issues yeah. in the time that they were making the movie. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's one of the keys to its successes. And why As no? it turns out, kids did have haircuts like that back in the 70s. <laughs> There was a there was an increase in the in the type of language in the type of profanity that little kids were using, uh, and it apparently was successful because now we still have that profanity with us. <laughs> well, I know it's one of your favorite movies, and I know you. Uh, I don't. I don't know if. It, I, where did I say that? I thought it was implied. Maybe it was. I, don't I know. know that uh, you relate a lot to those kids. You're a similar age. That was the, it's, it's was, the yeah. valley. It's that was my generation. That was that my really my, resonates. Yeah. You've seen it a dozen times. That was my childhood. Yeah. I, I mean, at the so time, I thought, well, those guys aren't like us, you know, because I was my team had different colors on. My team had orange jerseys <laughs> or something. But now, in the you know, looking back thirty years, I go, yeah, that was more or less the experience. Yeah, it was a great sort of time capsule. Yeah. Type thing, so our um, buddy Kevin Smith is also a big fan of Bad News Bears. In fact, he was recently at the Sundance Film Festival and ran into the guy who played Lupus, all grown up. Oh right, you were telling me about this. Yeah, and they were chatting in the airport for a little bit. You ran into Lupus. Yeah, and Lupus was mainly talking about how the film ruined his life. <laughs> People would come up to him from now on, and right. it just kind of ruined his childhood. And. Well. Even though he still is in entertainment and, and does stuff. I can but, understand how that would happen. You know, get over it, Lupus. <laughs> so, so, this is Kevin and Scott talking a little bit about Bad News Bears. Okay? Oh. The Bad News Bears. You met Lupus. It's Bad News Bears, dude. 1976, this movie fucking defines my childhood. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's the only reason I ever joined Little League and shit. And then I was like, wait, we're all supposed to be bad, right? And they're like, no, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> we're supposed to be good at this. <laughs> we start terrible, though, right? <laughs> like, no, you start terrible, stay terrible. You have no athletic inclinations. Um, it was, uh, it, it, that movie was everything to me. Now, if you don't know that movie, shame on you. Go watch it. But Lupus... It's too late to be spoiler built. Yeah. I want to ask the one question. Fire. Do you remember... Like, from a time, when you were a kid, you remember the moment where, I mean, I, I, I feel like I don't want to say spoiler, when the coach smacks his kid. When he, when Walter Matthau, well, oh no, when, no, no, uh, no, when fucking, what's his name? Uh, Vic, Vic, Morrow. Vic Morrow smacks his kid. He's like, you tried to hit that kid. He's like, no. Yeah. Well, then they decide to help the other team, right? They see this sort of yeah. There's smack a catharsis going that goes on, and there's yeah. a tension, and they sort of see themselves in the mirror, and this, and this change. 
And and the movie's sort of about that. It's a it's a it's basically it has this idea of on the one hand you have this this league, this little league team, and you know, um all these parents are really invested in their kids and these kids you know, are, are sort of the school bullies. The kids that are playing little league, they're the yeah. you know the the athletic kids, the the better players. They're all sort of competing and happy in this in this role as as being the more athletic kids, and they just you know they lord it over everybody. You know, we're the athletes, we're the jocks, we're the privileged ones. You know, we're we look good. Um, uh, we're you know we've got all the abilities. We're going to get all the girls. You know, we've got all the privileges. We've got all the access, and uh, and their parents are sort of reliving their, 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 their parents are living through their kids. You know, they're, you see a lot of these parents and they're older and they're coaches and they're obviously not pro athletes, um, but they can enjoy the success, they enjoy the success of the kids, of their kids. So it's important mm-hmm. for their kids to succeed, not for their kids to be happy playing ball, but for their kids to be successful playing ball. For their And they're promoting this idea that the kids have to be better than the other kids and that the kids are sort of snobs over the other kids and that they're, you know, this sort of elitist kind of a culture that, you know, sort of a fascist thing where, like, we're the, you know, we're the good-looking kids, we're the richer kids, we're the, you know, we're the kids with access, we're the kids with the future, and we're not going to put up, you know, we don't want these poor kids, these, you know, unacceptable kids that are incompetent and you're never going to be anything and, you know... It's always the ragtag team, isn't it? Yeah, the, and, and Walter figures it out. Walter Matha, yeah. So, and Walter Mathau represents the sort of the washed up guy. You know, he's sort of a drunk. He had, you know, he had been a pro ball player or semi pro ball player at one point and stuff, and he's just resigned himself to the fact that he's, you know, he's divorced or he's, you know, never married or whatever. But he's, you know, he's drinking all the time. He's got no ambition left in him. Uh, he, you know, he's got his own business clean and pools and that works for him because he doesn't have, you know, not responsible to any, you know, doesn't have a boss or anybody looking over his shoulder and he gets linked up with these kids. And at first he's, he's just sort of like, whatever, you know, we're, I'll come up. My job is to come up, you know, show up on the field and, you know, you know, it sit here a, and watch you guys play and we'll get you guys through the game. Is it games. for the money? Doesn't he get paid to coach? He gets paid to get, yeah, it's not, yeah, the coaches aren't supposed to be paid. They're supposed to be volunteers. And there's a city one of the parents couldn't do it, or someone couldn't do it. There's a, there's a city councilman whose kid wants to play ball, and he couldn't make the cut. And there's some kind of a court case where the councilman, uh, you know, was able to have this extra team in the league of all these kids who couldn't otherwise cut it, wouldn't make it into the league because they weren't good enough. Uh, but he wins a court case, so these kids aren't. This whole team is unwanted. These are all the kids that would have been left out of the sport except for this court case that. In which they don't talk a lot about, so they don't yeah. really explain it. But these are the kids that the the rest of the league is basically ashamed of, apparently. And and the councilman, you know, he's too busy to coach these kids, and so are all the other parents apparently of these kids. And so you know, under the table, he you know, he's going to pay Walter Matha, who's got this experience playing some ball, to coach. But he's to coach these kids. But Matha is is he is got all the wrong personality. He's got no ambition. He is not a pillar of the community. No. He's all the things that you don't want your kid to, you know, to be. He's like you now. Yeah, he's so. like me. He's just resigned to his failure and stuff like that. He's so he's no, so he's not a good example for the kids. He shouldn't be anywhere near the ball field. And he's teaching the kids all the reality he, he, he but he's an open book. 
He doesn't hide anything from the kids. He's he's honest yeah, with them. He's like the first adult to treat the kids like adults. Right. Not treat them like kids. He's not trying to hide anything about his life. He's like past that. He, he's beyond yeah. caring when he when he starts. Having a beer with the kids. and Right. At a time when like parents didn't really give a shit about the kids right he's like the south he's like the right he's like the south park of the uh south park attitude of the kids he's he's gonna be real he's gonna be like no bullshit and not not because he's trying to show the kids reality but because he just doesn't care (laughs) he just could not care it's just whatever the least they can do that's you know that that's that's as much as he's gonna aspire to and so he he shows up uh, he's got his equipment and he's, you know, he's got his list of kids and he doesn't care, you know, if the kids win or lose. And, and so the kids don't care and, and he sort of gets shamed into doing a little bit better job. Uh, yeah. they come to their first game and they can't even get out of the first inning. They can't get three outs on the other team. And so the batting just goes on and on and it's embarrassment. And, 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 and sort of at this point he begins to care because it's just, for a guy who's 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 taken Such to accepting career. humiliation in life and taken to be used to just being sort of just just barely above the homeless bum, uh, and in the movie we never see exactly where he lives. We don't even yeah. know for sure that he has a house. He, he seems to live out of his out of his you know beat up old car old, old convertible. <laughs> um, so we don't know that he has much more than you know than a flop house or something like that someplace. Uh, but. Um, did you watch this as a kid? Bad yeah, I watched it when it. it, when it yeah, I watched it within the year that it came out. Uh, but yeah, so and and but but he's real with the kids. He doesn't lie to him. He doesn't, you know, he, uh, more or less. And, but he but then he starts to feel for him when he sees what they have and what they don't have, and when he sees the kids getting frustrated, uh, he becomes sympathetic to him, and so he's you know at, at a certain point he decides we're gonna you know. It, uh, as much as he feels for the kids and he sees that these kids are sort of at the bottom of the barrel, but they won't quit. You have a kid, Tanner, and Tanner keeps fighting. He doesn't want to take shit from these guys. You know, he he, he doesn't believe Tanner's, a, he, he, I think Tanner empathizes, empathizes with Walt, with the coach, with Walter Matthaus character. They're, they're similar in the fact that they both are realistic. They're not dreamers. They're not imagining they're more than they are. Um, uh, but they just don't want to have to put up with this insult at the end of the day. You know, it's one thing to be kicked when you're down. It's another thing to be kicked and insulted. Yeah. And so Tanner, Tanner, you know, Tanner's Tanner's a fighter. He won't quit fighting. Um, uh, you know, when they start kicking him, he kicks back. When they insult him, he insults them back and stuff like that. Even when he's getting whipped, even when he knows he can't win the fight, he's not going to quit. And he becomes a symbol for the team. And eventually, the team rallies and Walter Matthau. Um, does what he can, and they they pull the team together, and they find ways. Uh, and so and so, you fall in love with these guys because they're just they're they're just guys um, that you wouldn't think have a chance, and they and they find ways, and they find yeah. the kind of people that. And they uh, lose in the end, which is part of life. They they do lose in the end, and a they're good not lesson. good sports about it. <laughs> so, so it's a little bit about character. It's a little bit about it's a little about about being real with your kids. Um, we're sort of, you know, there was a song in the early seventies, uh, Alton John saying, um, goodbye, yellow brick road. Mm. And it's a sort of about a sort of the song sort of about abandoning our fantasies. Uh, you know, we pretend that any kid in America could grow up to be president. And in the early seventies, you had these, all these sort of disappointments happening at once in the sixties, 
he had all these amazing dreams that seemed like they were coming true. There was like a civil rights movement. Um, there were these war protests and this generation of these, these sort of hippies coming up um, that stood up to authority and they sort of changed the way America could think about itself. And there was a sort of empowerment among the youth. But in the early 70s, you had Watergate. We had um, America losing its first war ever, Vietnam. And so do you, 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 you had this reality check. You had this reality check that America was dealing with. You had the oil crisis. There was an oil crisis that put all of a sudden put Americans who'd been on top of the world for 20 years... Um, waiting in lines, for. waiting in lines for gasoline. There was an econo- uh, crisis in the economy in '76, and and there was just all this shit that America was not ready to deal with. We were like the badasses after winning World War II, and we'd been on top for a long time. And the rest of the world was catching up to us and sort of putting us in our place. We got cocky. We did, and so so the bad news bears is about sort of facing the sort of reality check and being mm-hmm. honest, you know, we had all these, we had all these kids that in the fifties and sixties that grew up, grew up with the sort of Santa Claus image, you know, parents yeah. talking about Santa Claus. And all of a sudden in the seventies, uh, people are losing their jobs. Um, American car companies are, are, are getting checked by uh, the Japanese car companies, which, you know, were, were junk for a lot of years and just were like a laughing joke. And all of a sudden, there's a, Japanese cars are selling because they're economical. Uh, British sports cars are selling because they're economical. And um, because of this gas car. All these, or all these sort of weird things were happening where America just got this massive gut check. And, um, and the bad news bears, you start shooting straight with the kids. And, and all of a sudden, it's about... There is no Santa Claus. And that's what was sort of happening in mainstream culture in the early 70s. You know, soldiers were coming home in body bags from Vietnam when we were seeing the Vietnam War on every night. Elton John writes... uh, For the dog society howl. Yeah. You can't plant me in your penthouse. To my plow. You like Elton John? Uh, a, a lot of his songs, yeah. He wrote a lot of good song. stuff, yeah. Uh, but you had this counterculture rising mm-hmm. um, where you had uh, guys like Bob Dylan and Neil Young writing these songs about... Old man. Take a look Old at my man. life. Yeah. You had... Uh, uh, who was the guy? Oh, I can't remember the guy's name that invented LSD, but he's suggesting that you drop out. Kid Rock? No. Oh. <laughs> the guy that invented... Oh. I forget what his name was. He was a Harvard professor, but he said that... You know, you should take LSD, drop out of society. You don't have out. to tell me twice. All right. And and so there was this big counterculture developing. And so the Bad News Bears sort of, you know, was along this note where it's like, hey, kids, you know, America's not, you know, we want to think America, you, you, all your parents grew up with and, you know, your older brothers and sisters even grew up with America's the greatest nation on earth. And you can be president, any, you know, any little kid can grow up to be president. And, you know, this is Damn the best straight. place on the you know, this is the 
this is the America's the best country in the world, and we got everything here. We have freedom and all this stuff. And these kids are facing the fact that there's young, you know, we live in a we live down the street from these kids that are rich and pretty and pampered, and we haven't got a we haven't got a chance against them in life. You know, mm-hmm. the reality is that they're handed they're handed all the better positions. They're handed, you know, they're going to get to go to the college of their choice. Um, they're getting all kind. Of, they got money. Um, they got all these other privileges. And the rest of our lives, you know, we're going to get the short end of the stick, you know, and you can't tell us that we're not, you know, and it's time to stop bullshitting us. And and so that's what the, and, but these kids weren't teenagers and 20 somethings confronting these things. These were like little kids. Yeah. These were like grade school kids. The Sixth, cynicism grade. had started to. The cynicism had set in, right. This was not leave it to beaver. Right. This was kids. MASH. This was the TV show MASH, which was an extremely cynical show. Yeah. Which Nash you... went up against the Waltons on. They both aired the same night. The Waltons was like this classic Americana. These guys, you know, sticking it out. Family values during the Depression. Mash was the where the or these um, Americans in war overseas um, yeah. complaining about the government and why they wouldn't end this war, this crummy the war, Korean and war. How unjust it was. It was the Korean War, but it felt like the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. The way they were, you know, protesting against it, and uh, and it, was, it talked about the corruption of all the government and and how these you know political leaders were lying and screwing us over, and and so and and Mash kicked the Waltons' ass in the ratings, and so that's what that's what this generation, the seventies oh, kids, are coming along point. with. Yeah, you that, gravitated more towards that than the Brady Bunch, you know. Yeah, the Brady Bunch was on, but so was the Partridge Family. And the Partridge Family, the mom was was divorced or something like that. Oh really? Okay. So there, there was, there was, but there were these notes of cynicism, and anti-authority um, were in the mainstream in the mid seventies. Um, you know, we had like a lot of rock stars had OD'd. Mm-hmm. You know, so even our heroes were biting the dust and on drugs and stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, the Beatles had broken up. You know. Yeah, which for you wasn't a big loss anyway. Well, so you were kind of over <laughs> that it. Happened when I was too young. Like, but I mean, no big whoop. Yeah, but everywhere you looked. Uh, you know, everything was bittersweet. There wasn't any of these grand successes and all this sort of pretense and stuff like that. Everything, there was sort of a downside to yeah, uh, bittersweet side of life. And it was being expressed in music and the arts and in the mainstream. And so the ba- Bad News Bears, what it did was it took this message that was occurring on all these other levels and looked at how it was affecting little kids. And little kids are saying fucking shit in the movie. Yeah, um, and they're visibly upset at this sort of elitism and fascism that's going on, and uh, and so people people sort of cheered that these kids, you know, that that these kids are like ready to they can take on reality. We don't have to lie to them, or it's not maybe it's not maybe it's not the best thing to lie to them and tell them that everything's good. That you know you could be president one day, you know that that just to try and sort of hand them all these dreams. You know, try and shove Santa Claus down their throats. Uh, you know that it was maybe it's better to listen to them and see what their problems were and tell them, well, in life, shit happens. You know, <laughs> it's okay to lose a few. You might, you know, the main thing is that you don't quit. Yes, it does. Can we uh, move on to the '80s? Sure. Move forward in time. Move forward a little bit. <laughs> to your buddy Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield was not a. Uh, you a big Springfield fan? No. Uh, no. This song, I, I like this song, 
It's a great song, it's a great radio song. Rich Springfield did not have the typical rock background. Which with all that lens flare on the lights. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know. Chris is not a Springfield fan. Rick Springfield. Big be- surprise. Before he became a rock star, he was a soap opera star. Really? <laughs> so that doesn't usually Is that bode. true? That's okay for maybe like a pop singer or something like that. It's not the best background for a rock star. What soap opera was he on? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody told me that. I, I don't watch the soap opera, so I couldn't tell you. The song came out. It was a great song. I love the song. And then, you know, the first thing that happens is you hear something bad about the guy once he becomes popular. I didn't, not necessarily that it's bad. Is the bad thing? It's not, yeah, well, it's bad if you're trying to be a rock star. It's just like, you know, you're a rock star. You you know, you want to have a you, you want to have uh, a background that's, uh, I don't know, that's, you want to have, you came up on the streets or something. Rock is, roll is about rebellion and sex. Uh, so you don't want to be about it. You know, soap opera is not, to me, it's it's just sort of uh, theatrical, you know. How cool is this music video? It's this all was a great on. concept. What a cool video! This Got is an amazing video. It's all this hand-drawn. Right, artwork. it's a great concept. Have you seen this whole video? I don't know if I have. It's oh, it cool gets though. better. Okay, she's flipping through a comic book. Yeah, this is one of the great stand-up videos. Oh, so you like Aha? Okay, you're an Aha fan. I'm not an Aha fan, but this video was iconic. Damn it! This thing took, this thing took advantage of the video format in some ways, like no other. It embraced the time frame, had a great song. Mm -hmm. The video enhanced. Check that out. See the hands coming out of the comic book. She's gonna go into this comic book. I actually have seen this video. I'm jogging my memory. But this is a cool video. Yeah. This is even better than the Jesse's Grill video. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is the one. This is this. Video. This video is one of the things that sort of made MTV. It was like contributions like this, where it's like, yeah, I can't get this on the radio. Yeah. A lot of the videos, you know, were just made the song worse. You had a good song, and then you put in the old days before there was music video. Yeah. You'd have your imagination, which for a lot of the videos... That's was, shitty. It was... No, your imagination... Your imagination take you wherever you want in the song. It could be very, very personal in your imagination when you hear the song. Yes. It can and so, and so, so when they do a video about it, they can choose the wrong subject, the wrong colors, the wrong lighting, the wrong environment, and it's not as good as your imagination. Hmm. Okay. This video... It's real, though. This, this video this added a whole than di- imagination. Yeah, this is yeah. This added yeah. a whole new dimensions to the thing because it added like four and five dimensions to the song, um, and and the song is like a romance song, romantic. Fair enough. The video is not only romantic, but it adds this whole other racing. You know, uh, yeah. there's car racing, and then there's just this sort of odyssey and this adventure where you go into this other universe and stuff and back and forth. So it, it really really kicks ass in that way um uh, i think i mentioned to you that billy squire had a video that almost killed his career well he deserved it (laughs) no no, he didn't billy squire Squire has a bunch of great tunes he was a solid rock uh hero rock icon and uh and he made some 
different choices in one of his videos. It just was not very masculine. It was not the the rock hero kind of thing that that. All right, that can, I, can I segue up. now? Can sure. I do a, can I do my segue? No, back to them without hats. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That song was featured in a movie called Hot Tub Time Machine <laughs> from 2010, directed right. by Steve Pink. The sequel, Hot Tub Time Machine 2, comes out in about two weeks, February 20th, 2015. Right. So I thought this would be a fun movie to revisit. It's sort of like the unofficial f- sequel of Back to the Future where you're in present day 2010, but you're going back to the 80s, not back to 1955. So, going roughly 25 years back into the past. Very fun movie. I'll be the first to admit this is not a great movie. It's not like Airplane. It's not like this super sophisticated comedy. But damn, is it just uh, enjoying, enjoyable and fun and amusing. And yeah. I get a kick out of this sort of time travel premise, and I like these actors. And The first thing you have to know is that John Cusack was sort of this 80s icon. Yes, you know, he was. Especially he had say when anything. he was a teenager. You have Say Anything. He was in 16 Candles. Right. He well, was in... he was barely in 16 Candles. True. But Say Anything was, was, was a great movie. Yeah, that was a huge breakout. Um, Better Off Dead. Other movies I can't remember the name of. Yeah, well, he did. He I did High Fidelity, that. and he did Gross, uh, Gross Point Blank. Gross Point Blank, I believe, was a nineties okay. movie. Sixteen Candles, Grandview USA, The Sure Thing, Better Off Dead, Stand by Me. Oh yeah, Stand by Me. He was yeah. in that. What did he? Who did he play in that? He was the older brother of the kid. Who oh was yeah, the yeah, kid. yeah. He was barely in that one too. That wasn't like. It was a great movie, but he wasn't wasn't like a featured he player. He was still in it. He was in it. Okay. So had a couple of good moments. It's cool to see him show up in Hot Tub kind of spoofing his own image cuz now he's in his 40s and he's just like a mess. He's kind of this loser guy, this character that he's playing. Mm-hmm. His girlfriend just broke up with him. She took everything out of the house. She was putting these dots on everything <laughs> that she was taking out. Right. Oh, right. There's this great scene where he's in the past and he's depressed because his girlfriend broke up with him. And she's like, no, I know you're going to become something great. He's like, no, I don't. I don't become anything great. That's, right. I'm a nobody. But he's basically, but in a sense, yeah, he says it's a great line. It's a tremendous line, almost because he's talking to himself. In yeah. a sense, it's like, she can't appreciate that I could possibly know this. Yeah. So he's like really only talking to himself. Yeah, she's saying this. But he's trying thing. to tell her. He's trying to explain it to her. He's just—he's just so shocked that she's like going to drop him. It's like, why? Why would you drop me? It makes no sense. It's like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a fun movie. Um, they, um, the Lou. There's okay. Their friend Lou, you know. Sort of tries to commit suicide, but it could be an accident. This is, yeah, this is Rob Cordroy. Uh, yeah, no, really... he, he drives a car into his garage, and it fills up with... Exhaust fumes. Exhaust fumes. Yeah. And he ends up in the hospital. Yeah. So his two friends go to meet him, John Cusack and Craig Robinson, Adam and Nick. Because he has no family. There's no family. Yeah. And his, and his friends, admittedly, 
they're like, why, you know, where's his family? Well, he hasn't got any family, you know, and, but, but where's his close friends? I guess we're it. And it's like, well, yeah, but he's an <laughs> we asshole. We haven't seen him in years. Yeah, we, we haven't, haven't seen him in years. It's like, yeah. But he's our asshole. He's like, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're like, he's like, well, you know, you're his friends. You go, yeah, but, you know, when you have a group of friends and then the one guy's the asshole, he's the asshole. It's like, what, why do we have to be here for the asshole guy? You know? So, yeah, so, it's, uh, yeah, Rob Cordray really carries this movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's he's a ball of energy. He's a ball of energy. He's got. He's outrageous. I, I think I would say he's got all the best lines. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the plot mostly just revolves around what his character's going through and stuff. He does the big catharsis. Yeah, he's he's on edge. You know. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, so there's a couple of guys who are who are the straight men. You know, to him. Yeah. To his antics. Yeah. And it's a fun uh, nod. They. They go to this Winterfest '86 uh, cabin. In the '80s, yeah, but when, when they're in present day, they're oh right, yeah, in, they're, they're in going present day, yeah, the yeah. So these guys are all bot- their lives are bot- they're in their forties. Their lives are all bottoming out. They're the the doctor at the hospital says we can't keep him here technically. Um, you know, we can't force him to stay, but he really needs to be watched because he, you know, we think he tried to commit suicide. He says he didn't. Um, but so, you know, the thing is he needs to be watched. Um, we can't force him to do it. Can you guys spend, you know, stay, spend a couple days with him, make sure he's okay. So that's the, that's the compulsion for them to spend time with this guy. Um, and, and so the it's Kodiak mountain, that's where they, they go to Kodiak, Kodiak Valley, K oh, Valley. Valley. They basically pick a spot that was a, uh, featured their favorite spot when they were young. They're trying yes. to go back. They're trying to relive their youthful days because that's the last time that they were together and had a good time. And their lives are all in the shitter. Um, you know, they're all uh, the two. The uh, was it uh, Kuzak's character? He's just getting. He's just broke up with his wife. Um, the other guy, he knows his wife is cheating on him, mm-hmm. and he's just miserable. Yeah, um, there's also Kuzak's nephew, who's kind of this dorky guy. He's got he's, he hasn't along. got a life. He's all he does is is he lives in Kuzak's basement. He's, he's Kuzak's Kuzak's nephew, but he hasn't got a life. His whole life is playing Second Life online. He just plays video games. That's right. You knew it was Second Life. Yeah, they I'm mentioned proud it. Of you. You they mentioned it, and the second life character is in jail. The second life character is a <laughs> yeah. loser, and so it's it's just the worst. <laughs> so it's just Loserville. They're Even trying in to, his fantasy life, yeah. He's so a they're, loser. They're, they're going back to the last place I remember having a good time. Apparently, uh, this Kodiak Valley, which apparently has hit the shits too, because you go in, into the place and all their favorite places are closed down. There's graffiti everywhere. And yeah. it's just fallen into disrepair. The whole town's just so you just get a, a little like bit shit. of social commentary that in the eighties this was this booming economy, this booming. This was town, the place to be. This vacation town, right? Uh, kind of upscale. That's how they remember it. Yeah, because that's how it was, and then now, kind of twenty five years later, it's yeah, it's, not not yeah, so exciting for them. And um, so they they get there. They go in this. Nothing's like they remember it. Yeah, it's pretty beaten down. Crispin Glover plays this bellhop who has one arm. <laughs> one arm. And he's a shitty bellhop, anyways. He's just got attitude problems. They're dropping their luggage everywhere. He just He's kicking it around. And of course, the, the main reason I like this movie is one, for Cusack, and two, because 
it's this great nod to Back to the Future to have Crispin Glover <laughs> right. in a time travel movie. Right, right. Where you see him old and then see him young again. Right. He's just been working this job for yeah. for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. So And he becomes a pivotal character. So He does. Um, so this is... So, so this is almost a... It's a tongue-in-cheek time travel movie. They don't really make a big pretense about having any kind of science thing. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Who's the guy that breaks the fourth wall at one point? Yeah, uh, Craig Robinson as Nick. Yeah. Yeah, uh, fairly early on in the movie. Yeah, he calls it a hot tub time machine. Yeah, you, staring in the camera. L- yeah, looks looks at the audience. Yeah. So, this, yeah, so we're not... This is not overly dramatic. It's... Mm-hmm. It's it's just about this sort of... Uh, speaking of time travel, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. One, it's a time travel of consciousness. So their consciousness goes into their younger bodies. Right, and they're just the and they're just they're talking about the things that they did in the, they're talking about on the way, the things yeah. that they would do differently. You know, how they would, you know, would you marry would you mar- have married your wife? What was the lo- who was the love of your life? And they're talking about these things. Yeah. So it's 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 basically it's, it makes as much sense to think of it as just this drunken, you know, uh, remembrance of what if, what if we could do it different? How would we do it? And then you just sort of shimmy shimmy, you know, soft focus, and then a little bit of funky music, and then you're back and okay, this is how it was. Let's let's try and relive it and fix it. And and so they wake up after a uh, a drunken night in the hot tub. Um, in the eighties. In the eighties, and yeah. So the first scene, six. they bring back all the iconic features of the eighties: all the spandex, all the bright clothes, the yeah, leg warmers, and... right? All the fashions. Poison is playing the Winterfest concert at their club. You know, all the music, all the. I wonder what that would sound all the like. Yeah. Something like this. They don't look too 80s to me. They don't look that 80s. I'm kidding, Chris. I'm kidding. They look very 80s. You're the pinnacle of 80s. Yeah, this, even this song. Fan, Chris? No, not really. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. They were, they were Shocking. hot. They were hot in my youth. Shocking. Uh, they, were, they came up as a glam band. Yeah, so there's glam bands, there's rock bands. And they got rid of their makeup. Mm-hmm. So Poison's playing, MTV is playing. Right. Red Dawn is playing, yeah. Reagan. Oh, yeah, Reagan. Yeah, Reagan. So they, He's doing stuff. Right, so, so they get through this thing, they confront some personal issues, and uh, make the corrections, and then we have like a feel-good ending um, that all works out. There's a bunch of hilarious moments in between, some drama. Yeah. Um, they find out some stuff. I think one of my favorite moments is uh, Rob Corduroy is doing John Cusack's sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is a secret that had been buried with buried with him for like these 20 years. Uh, we don't know who, who was the kid's name that was with him. Uh, <laughs> We don't know yeah, who fathered. We don't know who fathered uh, John Cusack's nephew that's been living yeah, in the basement Jacob. in Cat Front Yeah, 
but we just know that he does hate Rob uh, Corduroy's uh, character. Mm-hmm. They're calling each other asshole on the ride over. So, um, at a very drunken part of the movie... And Corduroy doesn't even know he's the father. Right. And a very, but he does know that he did Kuzak's sister at one point. Yes. And has never told uh, Kuzak's character. He says early on, when they say, we have to repeat the same stuff, and they say, oh, Craig Robinson, you hooked up with that chick. Right. I also hooked up with a chick. Yeah. He didn't say who. Yeah. But he says that he did. Some chick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he comes out, one of the first things that we learn is that it, when we go back to the 80s is we meet Kuzak's sister yeah who's very much a slut yeah yeah and proud of it yeah, she's just in your right face away. one of those sluts in your face she announces she's gonna go ride uh the poles of the uh what was it the <laughs> rescue who are the rescue guys on the slope the ski patrol yeah go skiing with two guys yeah she's gonna ride the pole she announces this in front of all the her brother and his friends mm-hmm. so just just unabashed slut um, hot, but unabashed. Yeah. And so then, as the drunkenness well, proceeds late into the night, you know. uh, uh, Rob uh, Kuzak's uh, buddy does his sister. Mm-hmm. He gets drunk. He's doing her. Uh, Kuzak and uh, Kuzak and the other and the other three uh, bust in on them as they're doing it, and this is hilarious. And so he's doing it. They're making the noises. They're screaming, and. Uh, and Jacob. then the kid, yeah, Jacob, Jacob, he's like, he watches the guy doing his bomb. Yeah. Back in the day, actually creating him. He's like, you, but, and he, the guy who he hates, he hates this guy anyways, even before this, but now he's seeing him do his bomb. You motherfucker. And he literally <laughs> is accurate. He goes to dive on the guy. He goes to dive on Corduroy's character. Corduroy pulls out. And Jacob disappears because now he no longer exists because he couldn't finish. Because he stopped it. He's interrupted the process of his own creation. (laughs) (laughs) And and they start yelling, butterfly effect. In other words, you know, you've got to go back and finish her. You've got to finish her. You've got to put a baby in you. Yeah. He he goes back and he finishes his load. And then even, you think it can't get any better than this. And all of a sudden, Jacob reappears and goes, I was all perfect bliss, you <laughs> bastard. He, he beats him up even more for creating him. <laughs> even happier, never being yeah. created. <laughs> Comes back from never being created where he was completely happy. It was perfect bliss. He starts wailing on him again for creating him. Uh, they had some funny moments. Chevy Chase is the hot tub repairman. Yeah. Guess, who sort of... He's he's always disappearing, you know, and saying things that's completely ambivalent and inco- almost incoherent. <laughs> makes no sense, and yeah. he's basically just says that he's going to fix this thing in like two days. Yeah, and Chevy Chase is, I, I, my opinion, just made a mess of this role. Chevy Chase is so much better than that. <laughs> uh, it just seems like he could have. Well, he's a very iconic '80s comedian. He is. That was um, yeah, a I good can, presence I, to have. I can understand film. why you'd want him there. It just seems like his part was just ill. Ill written, ill, Ill conceived. It needed to. There could have been so much. You had such high expectations for Chevy Chase to jump into this character that could be anything you want. Um, it's almost a nod to um, uh, Pleasantville. Well, oh, interesting. Did you see that movie? I did. And there's a technician there. Don Knotts plays the technician in that movie. Okay. That's sort of responsible for this time travel feature 
that he sells these kids on and sells them from the, I mm. guess they were in the 80s then back to the 50s or something like that. So they give some exposition and they kind of... Yeah, but but there's but that's the precedent. They're like the magic figure that... Right. Well, this Pleasantville movie came out in the 80s. And yeah. so here you've got a technician that's responsible for this time travel feature and then that happened, this movie that came in the 80s and here's Chevy Chase playing the Don Knotts role, you know, in the, you know, obviously leading to Pleasantville, he's talking about making these repairs and stuff that's going to do this stuff. And and they, I don't remember if they mentioned, I, I couldn't remember the name of the movie, I don't remember if they mentioned Pleasantville, but he should have been making these Don Knotts references and, and stuff, and he just completely missed, you know, all these opportunities, I thought. So I'd have to watch it again to really see what, what the hell Chevy Chase was trying to do in that role. But it just seemed like it missed to me. Yeah, he's sort of the Doc Brown of the thing. He's yeah. kind of the... Yeah, kind of gives exposition. Just he's seems the like, guy who can fix it. It's sort of the sort of yeah. It just seems like he just aspect. he just missed hitting all these possible references. Um, yeah, the you know just had such a high expectation when I saw him pop in there. He's he's a guy that contributed so much to the you know in that era. So, anyways, Chris. Yes. The plot is this. Now, the first idea is we have to redo what we did the first time. So we the don't butterfly sp- effect. And they have this ridiculous notion of we do something and Hitler's president. Yeah, we, we yeah, if we screw this no thing up. For, there's no internet. We if, do this thing wrong and Hitler's yeah, Hitler becomes president and all these things. Which of course is completely ridiculous. Of course you would change the future, but there's no way that You can't predict how it's even. gonna change is the is the issue. That's what that's the premise that they start the start yeah. the thing with. And then they well, go in okay. there and they first of all Hitler's long dead. This is the 80s. So, no, right. it's just uh, the examples they give is yeah. just a preposterous thing. Right. It's it's the Sound of Thunder book yeah. that they get this expression from. Right. Which is like, okay, if they're going down to prehistoric times, 80s. then at least that's before yeah. this stuff could happen. Right, right. But yeah, but the idea but it turns out as they're in as they're in this thing, the the idea of them doing the same things that they did back then turns out to be a huge sacrifice. The guys yeah. that the guys that are supposed to hook up with the girls, uh, they don't want to. The one guy that feels like he's cheating on his wife and he doesn't yeah. want to do it. Kusai doesn't want to get broken up with again. He doesn't want to break up, but then yeah, and, and Rob has to get in a fight again, and, and he doesn't want to get in the fight. So they make these big sacrifices. It's a big sacrifice to go back and do these things that they did back then, and then they start realizing we really can't avoid doing those things that we tried to yeah. do back then even if we want when Kuzak goes to break up with the girl she breaks up with him yeah. you know he's like struggling to break up with her and then hesitating in his during his hesitation to break up with her she breaks up with him and he ends up and so, yeah he gets mad and she stabs him in the eye with a fork again <laughs> but he doesn't have a fork this time but she's just something else but she yeah. still stabs him in the eye with a little plastic implement which then leads to my favorite scene of Kusak writing breakup poetry <laughs> With the bong load and he's, he's eating marijuana, he's drunk and he's doing. Yeah, he's drunk and he's hitting the bong. He's got these monster bong loads in, and <laughs> and Jacob's trying to pull. Come on, out of it! You gotta, you know, pull yourself together. We gotta get get this thing back to working. We gotta get back to the present day. 
And he's, what have you got? And Kuzak's taking mushrooms. And he takes the mushrooms away. And Kuzak's got cocaine. <laughs> he's trying to get the cocaine from And Kuzak's got lewds or something else. It's just like every 80s drug he's got. Them. Uh, there's a great line when they deliver the 80s luggage. And you just see all these drugs and these suitcases. And he's like, who are you? Hunter S. Thomas? And he's like, Thompson. I thought I was. Hunter or S. Hunter Thompson. He's a famous, yeah, famous. Like, I thought I was. Famous Rolling Stone writer that would write about all these drug trips and acid <laughs> trips. Yeah, so funny. So, and then, um, okay, so anyway, so then they decide we're going to just do what we want. We're going to make it better now. Yeah. We're going to do a better version. Kusak uh, spends time with the, the Lizzie Kaplan character, this yeah. this chick who's a writer. Um Craig Robertson is a musician, and he gets to perform a set, and he gets to do better this time. <laughs> he, he grabs some tunes from the 90s. To... Yeah, so he plays, uh, they start with Jesse's Girl, and then he plays uh, the Black, Black Eyed, Eyed Peas. Peas let's, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Let's and, get started. You know, rocks the crowd. So, just like uh, Back to the Future and other time travel movies, right. you have a... You have the the new music being introduced older. You have a scene where they're betting on something. You always have yeah. to have some gambling scene. Oh yeah, and <laughs> yeah, then the bet goes strangely wrong. But he gets it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, they get the future wrong. <laughs> yeah, he remembers it incorrectly, and the consequence is that he has to he has get, to blow Craig Robinson. He doesn't get it incorrectly, but that that funky time travel squirrel shows up in the. In the football game that apparently wasn't there originally, there's like a squirrel turns up in the middle of the football game that was at their hot tub. I never realized that. I never caught that before. They time traveled the squirrel back to the football game, (laughs) and he shows up and screws up the football game. Oh my god, you're right. (laughs) I never made that connection. The time traveling squirrel. Yeah, it goes in and shows up in the middle of the football game somehow. (laughs) He's like, I didn't remember that squirrel. Because he wasn't there, traveled with him in the hot tub. Ah, I completely missed that. Wow, you're so smart, Chris. I am. You're a bright guy. Yeah, so, did this movie remind you of your own life? Did you ever go... It reminded uh, me of the time I got into a hot tub and traveled through time. It did. Did you ever go to any sort of mountain or snow? Have you ever seen (sighs) snow? Yes. I never skied. I never in the eighties. Never skied. I never. At any point in the eighties, did you see snow? I did see snow. I did sled. I did have some terrible sledding accidents. At any point in the eighties, did you have a bromance experience in a hot tub? No. Okay. <laughs> no. No. Okay. But you know, you were there in the eighties. Yeah, we had hot tubs. You watched. Tubs. You watched MTV. I watched MTV. You're an avid watcher of those music videos. Yeah. I went to parties. There were leg warmers. Yeah. There was you a watched lot these of guys. Those guys? Yeah, those guys were around. <laughs> they were there. They were there. You went through your glam rock phase. Uh, yeah, and I wasn't into gla- I was into hard rock, but yeah, there was a lot of glam rock. You got into fights. The chicks stabbed you fights. in the forehead. I got stabbed in the forehead with yeah with something yeah. Oh girl, yeah, girls were assaulting me left and right. I remember a lot of that. Good times. Yeah. Those eighties. Yeah. All right. Cool. cool. Well, 
So this is told by your lack of enthusiasm. <laughs> this uh, is a novelty film. It's good. You watch it a couple of times. I don't see myself watching this movie over and over and over. Well, I do, and mm. I have. Fun story is this was directed by Steve Pink. My friend Kent used to play frisbee with Steve Pink. And Steve Pink did this movie called Accepted with Justin Long and Jonah Hill. And I watched him. Like, I was emailing Ken, oh, this is a great movie, Accepted. And he forwarded the email to Steve Pink. So. Ah. Apparently, Steve Pink knows how I feel about Accepted. That's great. So, this was a fun one to watch. And I will be seeing the sequel. That will be fun. Um, I was doing, I've been doing some stand-up these last couple of weeks at um, the Bible study. <laughs> this is just the worst venue for <laughs> worst stand-up. Time. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> God bless you for going there and entertaining <laughs> these people, but it's just, it seems to me it's like the most impossible audience. It was a bit tougher last week. It was, there was like 15 people. <laughs> And people were st- still walking in. There's not a lot of drinking. As I was doing it, there's not a lot of drinking at Bible studies in general. And drinking is one of the main features that makes <laughs> it possible for you to be hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, but it's you know it's going well. It's yeah. I, I like the material. Yeah. Aspect. So. Yeah. Eventually, if I connect enough, uh, collect enough five-minute clips, I can throw it into an album and have. Mm-hmm. Some stuff. But anyways, I have a joke here that was on the cutting room floor. Okay. That did not get included in. My trudge? My trudge routine? No. Ah. This is actually, I wrote it out. That thing has a lot of trouble getting off that cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't even in it. <laughs> it didn't, didn't get to it. Wasn't even able to get to the cutting room. That wasn't, it wasn't Wow. <laughs> so, at one point I mentioned Dennis the Menace. Uh-huh. And I say, speaking of old comic strip characters, you guys remember Little Orphan Annie. Uh, Little Orphan Annie's interesting to me. The Annie movies were a little strange. The plot always evolved around Annie looking for her parents and people pretending to be her parents. Oh, okay. And they never find her parents. Yeah. But that shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us, because the title is <laughs> Little Orphan Annie. Orphan Annie, yeah, kind of a spoiler alert right she in the title. She can't find her parents. That would be really strange. <laughs> For a movie based on Little Orphan Annie to find her parents. She gets adopted by Daddy Warbucks in the movie. That's that's the famous right, ending, you know. Right. So That's like the biggest spoiler alert since Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, they make it back. They make it back. <laughs> so but I I didn't want to make an orphan joke. Even though I think it could be a PG enough joke. Yeah. I didn't I'm like, eh I feel like I'm making fun of orphans, even though I'm not. Hmm. I'm making fun of Little Orphan Annie, who's fictional. Right. So, that's why I didn't include it. <laughs> she's fictional, and she's an orphan. It's like a double whammy. <laughs> How would you like to be fictional? You can make How would you of- feel? How would you feel if you were fictional, if you were hypothetical? And an orphan! Even in, even in fiction, you can't have parents. You can't even have fictional parents. <laughs> That's how much of an orphan you are. <laughs> so that would be harsh, man. Well, that's a funny joke, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the way I said it, yeah. You like it as much as you like hot tub time machine. Uh, Clearly. Yeah. Um, that was a good hot tub time machine. Had some good moments. <laughs> is there anything you want to say about Wag the Dog? I do. This is this is a tremendous movie. It's not so much. 
1997 black yeah, comedy I'm, 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 directed by Barry Levinson. It's more black than comedy. It's just... Uh, it's more black than comedy, Yeah, evidently. to call it a comedy almost disrespects it. Big cast, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Anne Heche, who's really hot in this movie. Right. She's surprisingly attractive. Right. I don't think I've ever seen a hot Anne Heche. Right. She's Dennis Leary, William H. Macy. Um, just a tremendous job. It was released one month before the Lewinsky scandal. Right. And stuff. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. You know, it's just during this... the Clinton administration, this stuff was released. Right. It's, it's, it's uh, a fantastic it a, movie. It's almost disrespectful to call it a comedy because it's just such an insight into the relationship of this the American people. This is you're on a roll with, no, with good No, it's, it's almost disrespectful to call it a comedy because of the insight into the relationship between the American public and politics and the political leaders and the um the way we relate to our our political leaders and their and their marketing. Mhm. Brilliant movie. It is. Uh it, Dustin Hoffman has to be my favorite actor. He's he's in the top 3. Right. For sure. And he definitely plays a comedic role in this. Yeah. It's he plays a Hollywood producer. So it's it's he's great. Kirsten Dunst is in this movie. Uh, Willie Nelson is Willie in this movie. Nelson pops up. No, not just pops Craig up. Willie Nelson has, has this great role, sort of playing himself. <laughs> yeah, Barracuda, which we talked about last time, <laughs> but never got around to talking about it. Uh, yeah, Barracuda. no, we have, we have we have all this insight into how commercials are made, and and uh, we have the uh, they're creating a uh, I'm not even sure what you call it a political. Uh, they're creating. It's not a commercial. It's like it's a like three-minute segment. Yeah. yeah, it's like a news segment. They're creating false. It's a clip. False yeah. footage. False footage of um, of an Albanian refugee escaping um, a war zone. War and, yeah, um, with a kitten. With a kitten. Yeah, <laughs> but um, and they do it. In a, they do it on a green screen. So they have an actress dressed up in, and I guess Albanian garb. She doesn't. Have, she doesn't say anything. Yeah, and they she's can't holding de- a bag of chips. Yeah, they can't decide. <laughs> they they're they're having this huge argument over whether she, you know what kind of a cat she should. They wanted to carry a kitten allegedly, um, but there's too many opinions under what kind of a kitten she should have. One guy's forcing a lasso up. So who's the comedian? Um, uh, what's the guy's name that was played the guy with the lasso up? So the Wrangler. Uh, what's in his name? Uh, yeah, in the movie, what's he's a comedian. He's a famous comedian who was in Half Baked. Harland. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Williams. Yeah, Harley Williams. He only got like three lies, but he's yeah. he's trying to give him this lasso up so instead of the kitten and and they're arguing about <laughs> this. So they give the girl a bag of Tostitos and they say we're gonna punch in the kitten later. Digital and the girl's Williams. like, Why are you gonna punch the kitten? You know <laughs> Why are you gonna punch the kitten for a larger set of options, you know? <laughs> what? He's totally confused. And he's running across this green screen with a bag of Tostitos. And, you know, that's the reality of the thing. Hoffman gets a call from the president. He he's like, call. I want a white, white kitten. Kid. Yeah, and, no, and the girl's like, so I can put this on my, seriously, can I put this on my resume? No, you can't tell you can't anybody. Tell what is it, like this. a guild thing? What can they do to me? They can come to your house and kill you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she's like totally confused. You can't tell anyone. And, and yeah, and then they, but when they're done, it looks like a, they've got the, the European sirens going, woo doo 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 <laughs> She's running across this bridge with that, uh, you know, escaping a flaming house with carrying a little white kitten, <laughs> and and this is the footage. And they drop it through a CIA satellite or something like that and give it to the, give it to the feed it to the press. 
and the press does all the work. They just yeah gets all this information through these White House leaks and Willie Nelson and these, is great in this. Yeah, and these news stories, and and Willie Nelson is 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 got a a room full of musicians doing something that looks like we are the world, singing about all this stuff, uh, and you know just this yeah. huge production. There's there's the other uh, candidate that kind of calls them out on it, so they have to end the war. <laughs> they have to end the war. No, what are we going to do now? Well, let's do. Oh, then they get Woody Harrelson. They get Woody. We didn't even mention Woody Harrelson's got oh. this great little bit role in here. Yeah, so <laughs> it's like a barracuda. They can, and they, I like the boogie. <laughs> they concoct a story that this guy. They need a war hero for their scam. William Schumann. Yeah, old shoe. Old shoe. They got left a... behind in the war zone, and then now they... we're trying to bring him home. Then they even write a song. Yeah, that they, and they make it sound like it came from the '30s on yeah. old vinyl. <laughs> old. It's just the whole thing is just such a you know it's a lie about a lie about a lie about a lie. But the only guy they had in their database was an inmate. Who was in prison well, for raping a, a nun? Well, there's a government screw up, and they ask for special <laughs> programs, and they get prisons instead. And, and yeah, Woody Harrelson comes in to be their hero soldier, yeah, the but raper. he's such a yeah, he, he's raped a nun. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a psychotic, and they run out of medication for him. And oh At man, it's point, just and then he gets shot. So dark, 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 and ugly. <laughs> they crash land the plane. He gets out. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even make sense to describe the movie. You, you kind of see it because the thing is so dark and ugly. And really, you can't really enjoy it till you've seen it about the third time, just because the yeah. conversations are so tangled. I was so lost after the first time. Yeah, you have to have somebody kind of explain. <laughs> if you want to enjoy it the first or second time, you sort of have to have somebody kind of narrate to you because the conversa- there's so many conversations on top of conversations going. You can't really grab ex- the meaning of what they're saying That's the true. first time. You, you get like bits and pieces of it, and you're just trying to fi- figure out who the characters are. Mm. Um, one of the best screenplays I've ever seen. Yeah, in my just, opinion. yeah, uh, yeah. About the third time, second or third time, you can start to you know realize the stuff that's funny and what's hilarious. But it's so dark and twisted. It's just really so dark. It's not to everybody's sense of humor. Yeah, but it but it makes you think about where the hell the news gets the news. But it's the amount of darkness you like. Yeah. Apparently, well, so. for me, yeah, that's good. Yeah. No, it's it's just one of those things that makes you, you think like about. Where does the media get all these, you know, get their information from? How do you know? Why would we believe anything anybody says anywhere? Yeah, about anything. <laughs> and Dustin Hoffman's always like, "This is nothing, no matter how <laughs> oh, yeah. screwed up the thing happens." People are getting killed. The CIA's, yeah. the CIA's onto them, the, or the FBI's. He always spins it into the CIA a story. After He's him. looking for the angle. This, this is nothing. To continue the story. <laughs> Like, oh, now Old Shoe's dead. <laughs> we'll have a funeral. We'll have a memorial. People love that. And this is even better than yeah, the other plan that we... Yeah. So, I, I like his attitude. Oh, no. No, it's hilarious. He's, 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 you have this Hollywood take on politics, and, you know, what's one of my favorite lines is Dustin, the, the one character's telling the others, it's like, you must be great at chess. It's like, oh, I would be if I could remember how the pieces moved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would be great. Of course I would be great at chess. Why wouldn't I be great at chess if I could remember all the tedious bits about the rules of <laughs> the game? a great line about, yeah, you ended the war. There was oh. never a war. But yeah, which is harder to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we got to give him the, the Nobel Peace Prize for ending the war. Yeah, but you guys didn't. But there was no war. All the greater accomplishments. <laughs> all the greater accomplishments. <laughs> 
Starting and yeah, ending. There's, there's all this stuff, and it's just such a sophistry of of uh, of rational uh, bullshit, rationalized bullshit. Great film. Thank you for exposing me to that film. That's what it feels like. You've been exposed when you see that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Yeah, and, as well as Bad News Bears. Yeah, to the to our audience, if you. If you, I'm sorry I brought Hot Tub to your attention. No, uh, Hot Tub Hot Tub was hilarious. It had some great moments. <laughs> I'm, I'm still going to, I got to, I'll probably rent it again soon just to see that one scene where Carter <laughs> You <laughs> motherfucker. You motherfucker. And he jumps him and disappears. <laughs> and and it's like, that was so good. I'm like, not even done laughing at that. And then he comes back again, pops back. Ah! I was, I was blessed, you bastard, for bringing me back. <laughs> Oh man, cool. Well, that was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, until next week, we will continue doing stuff on a semi-regular basis. <laughs> well, probably not semi-regular, but semi-semi. Semi-semi. <laughs> semi irregular. There's no volleyball this Sunday. Oh, that's true. So we might so, actually get some know. work done. Do you we work better. on Sunday? No. Uh, no. Who am I kidding? Who am I kidding? <laughs> Work is that really the word for the thing that I do? <laughs> so we will. Uh, I think Days and Confused will be the next. Oh yeah, one we attempt. That's true. To That's tackle. true. We got Days and Confused coming up. So yeah, uh, go watch fun. that if you haven't seen it. Yeah. So hear Chris talk about the seventies and. When did they make Days and Confused? When did that come out? It was late nineties. I think it was ninety six. But you know, obviously, it's about the seventies. And you grew up in the seventies, Chris. Did you know that? Did you know that you grew up? Yeah, in Yeah, growing up is not really the best way to describe know? what happened to me. You aged. I aged. You... I yeah. <laughs> you came of age in the yeah. I finished. I uh, finished. I graduated high school in eighty two. Let's just say that. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well, that is KCast for this week. This is Caleb. This is Chris. Party on. <laughs> The worst song. <laughs> it's a great song. <laughs> the worst song. Songs of my youth, right here. <laughs>